0: hello no it is not tim golden it is jason hall your half of the podcast and motown philly what's going on guys i do have my co-host here he is tim golden tim golden is part of the podcast he is the philly in our podcast and i represent detroit Motown in this particular episode. This particular episode is episode number 23. Tim, can you believe that we are here? Episode 23. We're here, bro. We are here. And poetically, I
1: can't believe it. But propositionally, I have to believe it because we've been delivering content on communication, connection and community
0: consistently. For this, our 23rd straight week Crazy, crazy, crazy So so listen, um, the roles are kind of reversed today And I'm super uh, excited about what we have to share for many reasons I will be interviewing Dr. Tim Golden on today And he will be sharing with us a lot about Abuse and trauma, emotional abuse and trauma. But before we get there, we would need to do some housekeeping first of all. So, as usual, we like to start this podcast off with some gratitude, with some thankfulness, with 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 sharing, our, our just being just being grateful. Uh, and as always, we're grateful to those of you who listen. To us on a consistent basis, those of you who are in our Facebook group and we have conversations and you guys listen to our podcast, even our new listeners, we are extremely grateful for the downloads, for the commentaries that that you have had on our previous podcast that we've shared and the interactions that we continue to have today and in, in the times that are coming near to us i'm sure there might be some some real life conversations that are going to happen based on this particular podcast so we want to continue to thank you guys for listening in and making sure that that we are we are part of your lives that we're part of your day that on a weekly basis and i'm sure tim has some some platitudes as well I sure do,
1: Jason. I'm grateful for all of our listeners. Thanks to all of you for interacting with us in the Motown Philly Podcast Facebook group. We're building a wonderful community there. I think at last check, I saw 78 members. Let's see if we can't get 22 more. Let's get up over the century mark, get up over 100. We want to continue to encourage you to come into that forum and into that space and share your comments, your criticisms, share your feedback on the episodes, start conversations. About things related to communication, connection, community Because that's what we're about here at Motown Philly Thanks to those of you who have dropped in articles and TED Talks I will drop in a copy of my TED Talk A video of my TED Talk into the group later this week And, and by the time this episode is is available for, uh, for downloading my TED talk will be posted in the Motown Philly Facebook group. So we're just uh, excited about all of you. We want to thank you. So I also noticed that our average weekly downloads are up from 49 per week to 84. Wow. Per week. 84. Let's see wow. if we can get that up around 500 because once we get it to that level, that's when advertisers start to, that's when. Advertisers start to notice and Jay- if Jason and when Jason and I start reading ads on the air, you know we're coming to a better place. We have big visions for Motown Philly, talking about podcast studios, merch, giveaways, live events, but we can't get there without you. So please keep listening, keep keep subscribing, keep sharing, keep downloading and we're looking forward to what motown philly is going to eventually become and what we're thankful for what it already already is so thanks to all of you so
0: much super grateful guys we're just super grateful up that's almost double um in the span of we can say in a few in a few couple of weeks um we can definitely say at the turn of the the new year we've almost doubled or download average weekly so that's amazing listen you guys are amazing and that's one of the reasons that that gets us to these microphones to share in this podcast listen without further delay we want to get right into today's topic we believe that this is a very uh, as much excitement that i have for this topic and what tim is going to share with us i think i have the, the excitement is is kind of balled up and wrapped into who may listen to this and who might gain some level of insight and awareness based on what Tim is going to share about his journey of emotional abuse and how it's going to impact those who are listening. Of course, Tim will be speaking from from a perspective of a male but i believe just because we know that we talk to human beings out there that these things happen or can happen on some level to to all of us but you know tim will share from his from his viewpoint and his his own personal experience and i just really want you guys to hear his heart i will be asking him questions and um you you guys too can can kind of maybe take notes and have questions that you might feel compelled to ask Tim or ask us us as we as we uh, go into the Facebook group and, and 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 have conversation about about what Tim will be sharing today. So today's title will be on episode 23 will be titled abuse and communication there there is there's definitely trauma that is that is linked to the word abuse and and tim will be just sharing his personal story if you will and the things that will be shared i'll just say this and he might too to reiterate the things that he he is sharing i know that he is sharing from from his perspective because it's his story um and no in and he will, he, you know, he'll do his best and he and he from an intention point of view, do his best to, to make sure that that will be uh, to the forefront as far as what he has to share in the experiences that he's gone through. So we, we want to start off with for those of you guys who that didn't know and I get to brag on my friend and brother, my friend Tim uh, has had has done a TED talk. And Tim's TED Talk has gone viral. Tim has over a million views. He's at. Are you at now at least 1.5 million on that particular one? Where are you at currently? Last time I noticed it, Jason, I think I was at 1.3 million. 1.3 million views. The title of Tim's TED Talk is, you can say it, Tim. I don't want to mess it up. Suffering in silence, the emotional abuse of men. Suffering in silence, the emotional abuse of men. So there's some questions that that I'm going to be asking that will lead us to a certain space. And Tim will talk about the abuse that he's experienced. And we don't want to leave it there. We want to transition to a place where Tim is going to also share with us about the healing process in his journey. And I think that's just in, just as important. I want you guys to always know that there's two sides of every coin. And Tim and I don't want to share what is all, in any podcast episode, what is negative. We also want to share what is positive and what brings us light and what brings healing to all of us. So I, I we both pray that you guys are Find, we'll find a wealth of insight And understanding and knowledge And even some healing Through what Tim will share So Tim Let's start there with the pet TED Talk What What made you decide To do a TED Talk On suffering and silence Well It was about Seven
1: Almost seven years ago In February Of 2016 I was estranged from my now ex-wife from whom I had separated about five months or about six months prior to the opportunity that came to give the TED Talk. The university where I'm a professor, Walla Walla University, was having uh, tryouts or auditions for. TED Talks and I submitted a video audition with my topic in consultation with my therapist when I told her about what I was uh, proposing to do. She highly recommended that I do it and so I submitted a video summary of about one minute long to the folks in charge of the TED Talk auditions and i was selected in february to give a ted talk that i eventually gave in april on in april of 2016 on the emotional abuse of men and i was motivated to do it because at that time i was in a relationship my marriage that was that had rapidly had that had that had deteriorated for a long time beneath the surface but the last movements the last stages of deterioration were much more rapid than the slow decline that had been taking place for a long time so i was in a space where i guess preparation met opportunity And that's the definition of luck. So there I was. And that's how I came to give
0: the talk. I'm tempted for us to go heavily inside your talk, and we may get there, but we definitely don't want to make the entire segment of abuse about the Ted talk. But I think just to kind of have a perspective, about the abuse that you experienced, can you kind of share a little bit more about your experience oh. with 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 abuse and with trauma that, you know, kind of colored some of some of the, the TED talk and in the things that you experienced?
1: Absolutely. Thanks for that question Jason. Well, I think that whenever a person shares their story, they have an obligation to do so with honesty and integrity. And what that means for me is two things. First, it means that although I was emotionally abused in my relationship with my ex-wife, the abuse, it did not begin there. Mm -hmm. And... So that's one thing. The abuse began in childhood, which I'll describe in just a moment. The other thing is that although it didn't begin in my marriage, the abuse I experienced and the emotional and psychological ways in which I was compromised before I was married, which my ex-wife sort of exploited, does not excuse the actions of My ex wife, either. So integrity is sort of operating here in two ways. One, I can't blame my ex wife for everything. And two, I can't absolve her either because the fact of the matter is I was in a compromised position. And three, I want everyone to know because a lot of people who will hear this know me and they know her too. This is not an attempt to besmirch or malign anyone. This is an attempt to share my story in ways that I think will resonate with men who are listening. Wherever my ex-wife is today and whatever she's doing, I pray God's richest blessings on her. I hope that she's doing well. I hope that life is giving her exactly what she's always wanted. There's no bitterness or acrimony or animosity there. I think it's important to lay that on the table at the beginning. That said, the abuse that I experienced in my marriage did not begin there. It began in the beautiful neighborhood of Germantown in the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I grew up the youngest of seven children. I have three brothers and I have three sisters, which meant I had four mothers and four fathers. My oldest sibling is 19 years older than me. And the sibling closest to me is just four years older than me an older brother and growing up in and around philadelphia as a kid in the 1970s i grew up in a household that was uh very strongly masculine we were very sport and, and very traditional a very traditional household so traditional that on sundays jason my dad and my brothers and I would be watching football and my mom would be in the kitchen making cheesesteaks. And we would eat the cheesesteaks and the fries and we would watch the game. And that's a tradition that if I lived anywhere near Memphis, me and you would be doing that this weekend, right? That's a part of my childhood that I like and that I like to reproduce in the lives of of my friends and, and loved ones whenever I can. True, true. So, listen let me say this
0: if you guys haven't had Tim's <laughs> Philly <laughs> Cheese day I'm sorry I want to say you're missing out but listen we're creating Community one day guys we might Get the all taste of Tim's Philly cheese day sorry. One, yeah. Y'all just keep
1: Y'all just keep downloading these episodes And true, man. eating ads and getting That cheddar before you know it But, but in any event I, I grew up in a, a very Masculine household in Which uh, it was, it was a very sports oriented household. Uh, I was, we were, I, you know, my, my father talked to, often talked about, um, you know, experiencing sadness, but not necessarily giving into it, not necessarily sharing it. And and I want to stop here. And I want to say, for those of you who are listening, uh to those of you who are listening and thinking oh my gosh that's toxic masculinity right there because he's told to suppress his emotions let's not give in to these popular phraseologies right let's understand that there is a sense in which men have a legitimate need to stay focused remain ambitious etc despite difficulties That's not to say that we don't or shouldn't express emotion, but that we should do it in healthy ways. And so growing up as a kid, uh, I was growing up in this environment and I was often told that sometimes you just have to deal with difficulties. And I had an older brother with whom I'm in great relationship today. I love him dearly and there's no animus between us either. But growing up, it was it was hard. You know, your big brother is supposed to protect you from neighborhood bullies. My big brother led the bullying. Your big brother is to make sure other kids don't pick on you. My big brother encouraged other kids to pick on me. And as I got older as a kid, there were two things at work. Number one, I was believing everything that my older brother would say to me. You're fat. You're stupid. You know, your older brother's supposed to teach you how to talk to girls. And when you go to your older brother and you ask him how to talk to a girl and the response is, no girl wants you. Look at you. You're fat. You're stupid. And I began to believe everything that he said about me. Right. I believed every word of it. But the other thing that was happening was that I was beginning to like girls. Mm. And so I was beginning to like girls, but I didn't have the confidence to approach them because I kept telling myself I was fat, I was stupid, there was no way a girl would be interested in me, but I still like girls. So in my own pubescent mind, I reconciled those two things by saying, I'll still go after girls. I'll just allow them to treat me any old kind of way, because that's the only way I'm going to get one of them, because I don't really have anything to offer anyway. And that was a formative experience. That was the way that I was disposed toward women in my formative years of attraction to girls so fast forward from age 14 to age 25 here i am 11 years later and met this beautiful woman got engaged got married 14 years later at 28 And the disposition that I carried into the marriage was the only way I'm going to get a woman to like me is to allow her to do whatever she wants and say whatever she wants. Because if I don't give her that leeway, she's going to leave me. And I'm so bad off because I'm fat, I'm stupid, et cetera, that it's never going to. Amount to anything, and I need to allow her to treat me however she sees fit because that's the only way I'm going to keep her around. Now, I want you to consider this. And this is to so our listeners who experience emotional abuse, this is what it will do to you. At the time I'm calling myself fat and stupid and saying I don't have much to offer, I'm someone who has just graduated from law school and passed the bar exam. Mm -hmm. And I represent criminal defendants in the nation's fifth largest city going to court, getting acquittals, winning cases. And yet I'm telling myself I have nothing to offer a woman, so I better let her do whatever she wants to do. And I want to pause here, Jason, to talk about some of the importance between emotional abuse and self-esteem. Hmm you will allow yourself to be treated less than what you are worthy of being treated precisely because you believe things about yourself that are just false. I was telling myself I was stupid because that was a narrative that I grew accustomed to believing, but it was contradicted by my bar card by me going to court by me writing briefs and getting complimented by judges by me being told that was a good argument mr golden by my clients walking free right so i'm living a life in contradiction to a narrative i'm telling myself but the narrative holds sway just because i'm accustomed to believing it and i
0: carry that into the marriage with me i i, I want to say to your point As we talk, for those of you guys who are listening for the first time, uh, this this podcast is based on what on three pillars, and that is communication, connection and community. And what Tim is 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 touching on is that self-talk and the conflict of that self-talk and also understanding community and boundaries and what we say and what is led into us uh, from the outside and how we reconcile with that. This whole thing and his communication style and even finding his wife, uh, then wife and allowing the conversation and communication to continue to ensue and to evolve. All that's a part of what Tim is actually expressing or experienced at that time. Uh, Was the communication and connection That he had with himself And and those who he let into His his personal space Go ahead Tim Yes Jason That's very true
1: So I take this Into the marriage Mm -hmm. I meet this beautiful woman Very attractive And We have We start dating we get engaged to ask her to marry her. We get married. And the narrative from my childhood is still haunting me. My self-esteem is thoroughly compromised. And we get married. And lo and behold, one of the things I've told myself for my entire life that I've heard from my older brother becomes the main issue in the marriage. I'm fat. And from the time we got married until the time we, from until the time we got divorced, the and really before we got married, because we were engaged for two years and married for nineteen, and so that's a total of twenty-one years. All right. And during that twenty-one year period, what? ends up happening is and this is where the TED talk comes into play. Almost every three to six months or so. It it was it was almost it was there was a there was a frightening accuracy. There was a rhythm that made it easy for me to predict when things were going to happen. Like a cycle? A cycle. Yes. Very good. A cycle. And what would happen is The episodes of abuse would be preceded by the silent treatment. She would go real quiet. I would ask what's wrong. She would say nothing, 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 nothing. And then eventually she would explode into uh, a rant of verbal assaults about my weight, about what I look like, about how I wasn't sexy enough for her about how she needed a hard body in her bed. I didn't look good enough for her. And this became a regular occurrence. And the way things would work is there would be the silent treatment, there would be an explosion, there would be, uh, I would have a total breakdown emotionally. Uh, A very traumatic breakdown Some of these episodes of abuse Were traumas that I had to deal with In therapy, which we'll talk about on the other side With healing And In the end The marriage was punctuated By these episodes of abuse And so the question May be raised in somebody's mind Well my goodness Tim, you just said you were with her For 21 years, why did you stay so long? Well, first of all I stayed long because as i've just described my self-esteem was already compromised and secondly it's important to remember that the hallmark of abusive relationships is that they are not always abusive 24 hours a day seven days a week what is so intoxicating and what problematizes abusive relationships so much is that although there is a regular rhythm of abuse the moments in between of bliss of happiness of good experiences of perceived intimacy and closeness are enough to counterbalance the episodes of abuse so that the abused person is made to believe that things are not as bad as they seem right. so it's important to keep that in mind Right. This isn't somebody who's in my face every day, day in, day out, telling me how unattractive I am. This is something that happens with an intensity. It waxes and it wanes Mm -hmm. and it waxes and it wanes. And when it waxes, it's intense and it hurts and I feel bad. And there are apologies. And there is forgiveness. And then you add the apology and the forgiveness to the waning in which we would go out with friends, we would do things. We would go away for long weekends. We would, we would do what married couples do. We would make love. We would laugh. We would talk, we would joke and everything seemed to be just fine and so for anyone out there who's listening who's thinking well why did you stay so long that's one of the reasons why and that's what makes an abusive relationship so bad because if somebody's in your face every day telling you how unattractive you are and you're married to that person And you have to sleep next to that person in bed chances are the marriage isn't going to last that long but if you need if if the person who is abusive sort of needs you around right then you're going to have the episodes but those episodes are going to be glossed over with maybe months and months and months and months of everything being okay and you feel like it's all right and then bang it happens again and so that that was the rhythm
0: question. that was the rhythm of the relationship yeah go ahead jason let me ask this question with that being said you mentioned the various factors as to why or what kept you guys together the intensities varied there were different levels cycles weren't consistent there was apology there was love there was laughter there was love making um, there was sharing uh, space with each other being content about where you guys were outside those moments of intense um Abuse for you, emotional abuse. I guess my question is: Were did you have overtones of tradition, um, or or religion, or anything that might have uh, allowed you to stay? Because you think about abuse, like w- whether it's whether it's infrequent or frequent, it's all it's, it's often not a space that you want to you want you that you want to experience ever. Like maybe you don't have the words to, to call it abuse in the moment, but you know, it doesn't feel good. And we are talking about 20 years were there ever times that you just said this is enough and you didn't for for external reasons? No, Jason. In fact, the exact opposite happened. Now, we ended
1: episode 22 with a discussion of authority and the way authority influences the way we communicate. If you remember last, in last episode, we talked about the Netflix documentary, Don't Pick Up the Phone, and how where we're from affects what we hear. And you so nicely transitioned us into a discussion of a different kind of authority, not a legal or a political authority, but a theological authority in the church. And how in the church, particularly in the black church, for black men, one of the things that happens is black men are told that salvation is a zero-sum game. Yeah. Jesus had to die so that other people can be saved. And that for, and for years, the dogma that governed me in relationship of my marriage and with my ex-wife was this idea that I had to die and allow myself to be crucified in order to help my wife be saved. And what that meant as a practical matter was that on top of my already unhealthy, low self-esteem, I now had this theological interpretation of the Christ figure that told me that unless I allowed my ex-wife to nail me to a cross and crucify me and speak to me any old kind of way, I had to allow that to happen, that I had to let that happen. And so in a sense, just like the people in the documentary don't pick up the phone. Bought in uncritically to this caller. I bought into the call of a toxic of a theology with a toxic understanding of the marriage doctrine that led me to the point of interpreting Jesus in a way that told me the only way for me to be a Christlike husband was to allow my wife to do whatever she wanted. And I had to just take it on the chin. That's another reason why I stayed so long. The theological influence was overwhelming.
0: Yeah, when you say another reason, I, I guess from what I'm hearing you, especially with that last statement, the theological implications were overwhelming. My question, my follow up question to that is: so, what was the tipping point? Like, when did you, when did you hold space with yourself? and your, the reality of your situation and the perceived overtones of expectation, when, what was the tipping point? When did you get to a point where this, what you were, what you knew and what you were feeling became too much to bear? The tipping point came in
1: December, just about 10 years ago. In December of 2012, my ex-wife in another rather explosive abusive episode Uh, actually a series of episodes that followed in rapid succession um one morning i was up getting up headed off to work and she jumped across the room and pointed her finger in my face and demanded to know exactly how much i weighed and told me that we were going to be celibate until I got on a scale and weighed in once a week. And that when in her estimation, she thought that I had lost sufficient weight to make myself more attractive to her then, and only then would we resume a normal sexual relationship. On the heels of that, just a few days later, she told me about, she gave me a vivid description of her sexual attraction to another man. Just a few days after that, she told me, i haven't cheated on you yet and this is a quote i haven't cheated on you yet but with what you look like you are you're making it real difficult for me mm-hmm. so on the heels of never remind mind you the abuse had always been going on but right. you, as you i like your phraseology you use the phrase tipping point that was it for me right. i didn't have a name to give to what i was experiencing but i knew at that point at the end of 2012 the beginning of 2013 a full three years before three plus three and a half years before the divorce i was the marriage ended for me in at that time wow. at the end of 2012 the beginning of 2013 the marriage was over wow. you and i have talked about me for, the marriage was over for emotionally for me and what ended up happening is if you fast forward to 2015 and 2016 to the the months leading up to the divorce, I had reached a point where I was trying to get my ex-wife to see that she was hurting me right, and right. that if you if you don't stop hurting me, I can't stay married to you anymore. And we have to have a conversation about a way forward. Well, that was a conversation that she never wanted to have. When I would share how I was feeling with her, when I would be open and intimate and vulnerable with her, that vulnerability was met with icy cold silence. And let that be a lesson to people who are listening, Jason, right. because you and I always talk about intimacy. We talk about intimacy, we talk about intimacy and communication. Right. And if your openness and your vulnerability with someone is ignored, or is met with a cold indifference that's a sign that that relationship might be coming to an end and so but if you if you go back so that was a fast forward if you go back to 2013 you and i've talked a lot about uh, maybe from time to time not be not a lot but about my my interests in theater and as an actor theater became my mistress Hmm. theater became when when my when when i when my marriage had reached that tipping point, theater became my mistress acting became a place and a space where I could be where I could be accepted, where I could build my confidence where I could explore another side of myself, where I could become something better than how I was feeling and so that's how that's how things sort of evolved. As, as I said, by the time we got to 2016, the last conversation I had with my ex-wife, I remember I, I told her that I was struggling and that you know she had been abusive. And she said, quote, you're making a big deal out of nothing. This is coming from a woman who knew that I was in 2013 near the brink of suicide. Right and I was near the brink of suicide. Why? Because I had thought that I was a bad Christian for feeling badly about my spouse and the way I was being treated. And that because I was, be- not only was I a bad Christian because of that, but I, I was a bad Christian because I couldn't get divorced because that would create such a stigma and alienate me from my church. Mm-hmm. An entity in which I had radically and quite badly and woefully over invested over the years right what a statement <laughs> I, I badly woefully over my identity myself estranged myself from my own family because I was trying to be a good Adventist and I I didn't you know want to do things on on saturday with my family and there were just a there were when i look back there were so many missed opportunities for fellowship with my siblings who love me who accept me who care about me as i am and i invested in church folk who some of whom just completely turned their backs on me altogether. And that was a, a real eye-opener and a real disappointment. I, I had still have, a, I think, a healthy relationship with the church now. I've never had a crisis of faith. I've never abandoned it. But I just understand my relationship to it better. Right. And, and so the real other tipping point for me, Jason, was when I started to think about how I was feeling. And I started to write down how I was feeling. And what I came up with was a list of symptoms. And I started typing those symptoms into Google. And I came up (laughs) with a website that was talking about the emotional abuse of men. And it was in that moment that I realized that my hypervigilance to my ex-wife's every need, that my sense of thinking that I was going crazy, because when i would tell her how i was feeling she would say oh i didn't say that or she would say oh you're just being too sensitive and i went down the list and i took a quiz Mm -hmm. and the quiz said if you score eight or more you're being emotionally abused i scored 14 out of 15 and the only reason one didn't apply is because my ex-wife and i did not have children So in that moment, I was able to give it a name. And that was the tipping point for me. At that moment, I knew that I was a victim of emotional abuse. And here's the other thing, Jason, just before you get to your next question. It's important to remember that people who are emotional abuse victims, not just men, women, too, are often gaslighted. What do I mean? What I mean is that someone who is abusive will often present two very different portraits of themselves. They will present one face to family, to friends, that dotes on you, that brags about you, that talks about how wonderful you are, that just lavishes you with praise. And then behind closed doors, they treat you badly. And when you get tired of being treated badly, You then start to think or maybe confide in somebody about it. And what does the person say? Oh, no, man, she loves you. You should hear the way she talks about you. And in that moment, the abuse victim becomes destabilized right? because you start thinking, man, maybe this isn't happening the way I think it's happening. Right. And so that was the real dynamic and that that was the dynamic of our marriage and that was the tipping point for me.
0: So So I want to highlight two things uh, that you said. You said a lot, but I think these things are stick out in my mind as some real strong pillars that were steps that you took forward in to be where you actually are today. And I think the first one is, is that your ability to cope with the pain, you did not use it in a destructive way because you were feeling an un an un what's the word like you were experiencing a type of pain that you had very a very much. Very much of a challenge to articulate, to express, to to have an outlet or to really, you know, quantify in a lot of ways. The pain that you are feeling, you know, just couldn't be couldn't be expressed enough. So my thought to that was what did you when we're often in pain and we're hurting, we need to cope like there's just an innate desire to soothe, if you will and you use that you use that coping skill and you know us humans we're all guilty of doing things that are negative uh things that are counterintuitive to health and well-being but you told you you told the story that when you weren't doing well your mistress if you will typically there is a mistress based on the things that you were experiencing let's just be honest that typically there is i'm not saying it's wrong or that's right but they're out of human behavior out of out of human behavior like there are some there's some consequences for for actions that happened. um like i said with no judgment wrong or right your mistress wasn't a real mistress it was actually something that was productive and i just wanted to highlight that that you took the time into theater and you kind of poured yourself into a healthy space that allowed you to cope with this very negative traumatic experience that you were going through perpetually, ongoing. And so I I love that and I also love the fact that you took the time to take inventory of your feelings and your emotions and you started to pin them down to find what I think is, is very pivotal for kind of finding our way out of our own demise, if you will. And that's jotting you taking time and space with yourself, jotting down those feelings and emotions that you're going through, and then starting to research them. And you then found language for emotions and, and feeling and feelings that you were going through, which were called um, then, and even now emotional abuse and specifically speaking, the emotional abuse of men, because that lexicon, that vocabulary was not familiar to you, although you were actually experiencing that consistently over time. And when you, when it seemed like at that moment, the light bulb came on to use, starting to manifest a type of change and creating boundaries if you will type of communication if you will and saying or comu- uh, community with yourself and saying if these things continue you said from 12 or 13 to, to 15 or six, 2016 like if these things continue therefore in the way that they have been we or we might we may not or we will no longer continue and then i think this is the time that leads us into the transition if you will from the abuse that you are experiencing to the to the now portion where you have now new language to your experience and you know it's not right you know it's not healthy you deemed it as dysfunctional and toxic and you no longer wanted to be in that space now you were looking for another space that was more healthy a space that was more functional. Um what did that particular transition if you will into healing and 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 health started to look like for you? Very good, Jason.
1: Uh two quick points just about the the marriage and the transition out of it. A lot of people in cuz I'm a member of a Christian community, um uh, Seventh Day Adventist and part of a wonderful community of believers in christ and a lot of folks said to me what about apologies what about forgiveness and i just want to point out that there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation you can forgive a dead person forgiveness only takes one but reconciliation takes two people forgiving my ex-wife is probably the easiest thing i've ever done i harbor no animosity towards her whatsoever but reconciliation is a very difficult proposition when one of the parties does not believe that they have, the the offending party does not believe that he or she has done anything wrong. And that was the state of mind that my ex-wife was in. So although forgiveness came very easily, reconciliation was not possible. And everybody uh, in, there's lots of people uh, who are forgiven but not necessarily reconciled you can forgive someone without the relationship continuing and that's sort of what happened uh with me the other thing is a lot of people will say oh why didn't you just lose the weight uh 20 years ago in 2002 2003 i lost 75 pounds i went to a weight loss center at my wife's behest on the heels of an abusive episode in the summer of 2002 Specifically, it was around July the 5th, 2002. I was propelled into an L.A. weight loss center where I enrolled for about six months or maybe eight months. I lost 75 pounds and my ex-wife barely noticed or acted completely indifferent. So at that moment, I thought to myself, well, maybe it isn't about my weight at all. And my coping mechanism prior to theater was just to sort of throw myself into my work and sadly to buy into the toxic understanding of marriage and the perversion of the Christ figure that told me I was being a good husband as long as I was nailed to my cross, nailed to the cross of my marriage and being crucified by my ex-wife and dying like Jesus. That's how I coped in unhealthy ways. But For the journey of healing, as you said, Jason, the journey of healing began with a dialogue with myself an inventory of my emotions. And then I began to seek out therapy. I moved from the Philadelphia area to Walla Walla, Washington in 2015. And I took my healing so seriously, Jason, and you know this, I had a
0: therapist before I had an address. That's that's deep stay stay there For a second I know this Go there
1: I had a therapist Before I had an address I Was determined that I was not going to Be the same person That allowed myself To be treated the way I had been Treated for this 21 year Relationship and what that Meant was I was on the phone Contacting therapists And for the men out there Who are listening you'll understand what I mean when I say this, it was so disheartening because I had to go through four or five different therapists before I came across one who took me seriously when I told her that I was a man who had suffered emotional abuse from his spouse, his wife. Mm -hmm. I actually had one prospective therapist tell me that men can't be emotional abuse victims. Only women can. Wow. This is the kind of bias that exists in the therapeutic community. So if you're a man who is listening to this and you happen to be in an emotionally abusive situation, you have to be very careful and make sure you secure a therapist who is not going to tell you how toxic you are and how wrong you are and how you should go back to your spouse. And, and listen, just because a therapist is Christian does not necessarily mean they are a good therapist. Say that again. I'm sorry. Say that again. Just because a therapist is a Christian does not necessarily mean he or she is a good therapist. You can seek a Christian doctor all you want to, but if the doctor that's going to give you surgery is not good at surgery, it's a doctor you wouldn't want. If the therapist who you're looking for in a crisis like I was in is not competent with therapy and just wants to give you a Bible study or tell me how wrong I am. Or, or send me links to some social media video about some guy talking about how he's going to bend over backwards to love his wife better so God can love him better. And that's what you need in your life right now. I didn't
0: want any of that. Or or a therapist that disregards your feelings and your emotions that are affecting your real life reality. I, I couldn't
1: say it any better than that, Jason. And so that's where I was. And fortunately, I finally came across one. So if you're a man out there who's listening to this, don't stop. Ask your prospective therapist the right questions. Make sure they understand what it means to be an abuse victim. And for me, it was especially challenging being in a male abuse victim in a Christian community because let's just be honest, Jason, the Christian community that that I'm in, has not done a good job at recognizing the emotional abuse of women
0: start there
1: (laughs) i mean we could start there we could start with the fact that religious institutions are notoriously incompetent at giving proper resources to women who have been in abusive relationships, physically abusive, sexually abusive, emotionally abusive, psychologically abusive, financially abusive, spiritually abusive, Mm. right? Mm. And for me, toward the end of the marriage, the emotional abuse was compounded by a spiritual abuse based on this false understanding of marriage that tells me if I'm going to be a good man and a good husband, I got to be like Jesus and die to save my wife that is nonsense. So if you tell me your therapist, you're going to your therapist because your therapist is a Christian. I might not be too enthusiastic about that. Just be careful and make sure you get somebody who knows what they're doing. Fortunately, I did. Right. And my therapist has done an extraordinary job with me. And here's the deep part, Jason. When I first started therapy, I was going twice a week. And it was so bad. My therapist explained to me, she said, Tim, you have a lot going on. She said, you have two problems. You have low self-esteem and you have post-traumatic stress disorder. You have post-traumatic stress disorder from your marriage and you have bad, low self-esteem. Jason, for the first 18 months of my therapy, I was doing self-esteem work. I would literally go to therapy and my therapist would ask me to tell her all the good things about myself.
0: You're saying before you even can start working on the PTSD, she needed to work on your ability to see yourself as the human you are so that you can then start working on the trauma that you experienced. Exactly. And my
1: self-esteem had been so eviscerated From a troubled childhood and a troubled marriage That she told me And these are her words She said, Tim, you cannot handle the trauma work now Your psyche is too fragile for the trauma work Let's just take this one step at a time After a year and a half We started doing trauma work And Jason, the amazing thing about trauma work is that And this is the way my therapist explained it to me when we experience trauma, we are cut in two. The self that experienced the trauma remains in the traumatic moment, but the self that is the self that we are today goes on and keeps on living. Now you can imagine somebody that suffers just one traumatic event at one point in their lives. Right. Say at 16, Then you experience another traumatic event or several traumatic events over the course of three, four more years. Now you literally have pieces of yourself behind you that you have yet to go back and reclaim and reintegrate to who you are. So, so many people who have untreated trauma are literally walking around fractured into in, in pieces they're broken in pieces multiple pieces of themselves that are that are at the traumatic events that cause them pain and they have just gone on and they've gone on in some cases to do great things etc but their brokenness ultimately prevents them from being who they are and so the trauma work involved me going all the way back to instances in my childhood growing up in philadelphia where i had to confront a scared little boy the age of 9 10 11 being teased being berated running home staying away from friends, withdrawing. I had to go back, and part of the therapy of my traumatic uh, therapy that dealt with my trauma was to go back, find that 11-year-old self, and bring him with me through every aspect of my life since then and bring him to where I live today and show him what I've become and let him know that it was okay and ask him, is there anything you want to say to your older brother? Is there anything you want to say to your wife? Mm. What do you want? What does that? What does that 32 year old self want to say in the moment? And how can you say that and then bring that person on and bring that person to your house and show that person what you've accomplished? Now I want you to sit in your, in your safe space in your house now. I want you to reach over and I want you to stand up and I want you to hug that five year old self. I want you to hug that eight year old self. I want you to hug that 42 year old self. And I want you to let that person know it's going to be all right. I, have done that I did I have done that trauma work On my childhood And my marriage For the past Six or s- For the past six years Right The results have been remarkable For the first time I'm walking around In my life whole. I have literally gone back And picked up the pieces
0: That's That's First of all um, Commendable Beyond a shadow of a doubt, like respect, uh, admiration had at at any point that did you think, I mean, you showed the value of, of therapy before you even moved from, from Pennsylvania to Walla Walla, Washington of what therapy Was going to be for you because that's that's significant to say that before you had an address, you had a therapist and you didn't have any therapist. You had found someone that was right for you and understanding and knowing how to treat, if you will, the the level of your trauma and by the questions that you asked. And from what you had been go, you know, experiencing and going through what in the, the did you did you miss a day? Was it was it a seven or six years of consistency? Like what was the how much work have you put in when it comes to your healing process and what was necessary? What what was recommended? What how, how was that process?
1: Well, it was. It's been consistent for the first for the first year. I went for the first six months to a year. I went twice a week. Then it became once a week. Then during all the trauma work, it was once a week. Uh, We did a lot of what's called life integration therapy, which is what I just described. Going back to the traumatic event, bringing that broken part of yourself and reintegrating that person with who you are today becoming whole a wholeness of reunion a coming together and then there's emdr therapy eye movement desensitization reprocessing mm-hmm. where you sort of follow a light back and forth you think of a traumatic event or i went through a timeline when i first started of my life and my therapist has that in her files, in her office, right? Mm-hmm. And so we do work with EMDR. She'll bring up the event and then I'll go through it. And then I'll have to report where there's a wonderful book called the body keeps score, right? And you have to describe where you're feeling it and then you follow the light. And so all of that kind of stuff has been happening is tapered off now to the point where I go once a month. And a sure sign of my healing from the trauma of my uh, my childhood and my marriage is that we don't even talk about those things that much anymore. I don't even talk about my marriage and therapy anymore, right? Mm-hmm. What I talk about now is, and what I have talked about for the past couple of years, and, and this was what was hard for me, was I had been doing so well and I was pretty much over my marriage and over everything, and then the pandemic happened. And when the pandemic happened, I was thrown into a whole new series of traumas, right? That many of us experienced anxieties about getting COVID, right? About not being able to get treated. The reports of black people getting sick and not being taken seriously, right? I mean, you have all of these other anxieties. And so about three years ago, uh, actually four years ago in 2019, i think my therapy ceased to be about healing from the abuse of my marriage and the abuse of my childhood and healing from the grief of my divorce and it shifted in 2020 quite radically to my therapist asking me how are you holding up during the pandemic time and that has been the conversation that we're doing and what's beautiful jason is that the more you work on yourself the more you realize that you don't know about yourself. I have experienced, and you know, as you and I have talked personally, I have experienced therapy sessions that have given me insight into who I am as recently as just, you know, a month ago or two months ago. So it's a great thing, man. The journey has been a journey of healing. And for anyone out there, I want you to know that on the other side of your pain, The birds sing, the sun shines, the earth still turns, and you will be well if you commit to being well and you commit to the, not only your therapist, but to the community of your friends and your family who love you. It's been a great journey, Jason. And I have to say, I could not have done this
0: without you. Hey, man. Hey, 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 hey. Uh, Listen, man, us going through uh, some, some really similar times of you know separation and divorce leaning on each other was was quite um, when you think about the support that we gave each other was quite profound when it came to making sure that we were both okay that we were keeping sanity that we were checking in on each other I, I, with that being said, I, I appreciate you as well for being there for me. I do have some other questions, though. I don't want to get off the subject of, of healing and, and and how this might relate to some other other people who are listening. I'm sure what you're saying is resonating with many, as did your TED Talks already resonate with so many uh, other people. The thought or the question that I had was, uh, do you believe everyone has some level of abuse and trauma that needs some type of professional attention. And and why do you feel that way? If, if so?
1: Well, I'll, I'll answer with the second question. I think if you're a human being, you're going to experience trauma. You're going to experience traumatic events. It's just life. Life happens. You're going to experience disappointments and not just disappointments like you know, you burn the eggs for breakfast, right? That you wanted to eat. But disappointments that can be significant, relational disappointments, Mm -hmm. Uh, change. We talked a few weeks ago about change and communication, right? And the fact of the matter is the changes of life sometimes bring trauma upon us, depending on how those changes happen. So with that in mind, yes, I think everyone at some point has suffered from some trauma that would be best addressed by paying attention to it rather than allowing yourself to walk around in pieces
0: let me follow up with that do you feel that that paying attention I would imagine you're talking about the ability to go back to that space in that area to t- to 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 appropriately look at what happened and to process it in a healthy way. My, I guess my follow up question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that we can do that by ourselves? Or do you believe that's just best guided by a professional that can help you see said abuse said trauma, so that you can process it in the most healthiest way so that you can be a better person today? Like, how do you see that? Like, can people go through life without therapy and and have these traumas and abuse?
1: You, 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 I mean, yes, you can. But my question is, if that's what you decide to do, what is the real quality of that life? If life can be better, why not make it better? And it it isn't just your therapist, right? Yeah. So the answer to your question is yes. I think it's best got it by a professional. But I also think that we have a role to play in it. Jason, my friendships and my life is an embarrassment of riches. When I look back, when I look at my life and I think of the people who are close to me, and I think of people like you, right? I think of my friend Keith. I'm going to mention names here. I'm going to get myself in trouble. I think of my friend. Keep going. (laughs) I think of my friend Adia, my friend Tamika right i got a whole host of friends my friend donnie right and my friend dwayne dwayne wire i think of him i think of i think of my other good friends uh, marissa and her husband dwayne leslie man when at aaron and Nikki scott when i look let me tell you something man when i look at my life yeah i could get through life with just my friends but if i can get professional help to address the problems that I have and make it through those problems with not instead of engaging with my friends, but in addition to engaging with my friends, man, that is, that is life at its best. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Could you go through life without ever getting professional help? Sure. I'm sure many people have done that and are doing that. But my question is, why would you want to do that when you could go through life with all that love from all your friends and all your family? By the way, I didn't even mention my brothers and sisters, right? The wonderful relationships that I have with all my siblings. And yes, even the one who was not the best big brother in the world growing up, I I love him dearly. And we have a
0: wonderful relationship today. The beautiful, not, not by osmosis, but because of work, right? Work. Yeah,
1: because of work. That's exactly right. So, I mean, I could have gone through life without the therapy, but if I had done that, my relationship with my older brother
0: would not be as rich as it is today. Right. The therapy directed you back to to conversations that needed to happen.
1: Yes, directed me back to conversations and enabled me to enabled me to let go of those traumatic moments because I've recaptured myself from them I've, I've helped my therapy has helped me to rescue myself to gather my broken pieces to be whole mm-hmm. right and so theoretically could you do it yeah but why would you do that when every area of your life will be enhanced? In, in ways that you can't even describe if your healing is a combination of professional help and personal support. That I think
0: is the best combination. That's good stuff. Last question as we close out. This question is kind of piggybacking what you already said, but I think it's profound because it you can help us uh, help shine some insight as to what we can potentially do today. And this it's The question is stated, how can we be better today and every day as we understand our history of abuse and trauma? Well, I think we have to be better
1: today and we can be better today and every day understanding our past by understanding that while it is our past and we don't want to live in it, we have to engage our past long enough to learn from it. Stay there. I love that. And we have to, we can't abide in the past, but we have to engage it long enough to say, where did I go wrong? Where are my mistakes? We have to engage it long enough, not only to learn from it, but to heal from it. Yeah. Right. I mean there is a sense jason in which history is inescapable when you go outside on a warm sunny day and you experience the sunshine you're not experiencing the sunshine as it is you're experiencing as it it, as it was eight minutes ago Mm -hmm. you want to blow your mind even further go out on a clear night and look up at the stars those stars are so far away that the light is just reaching the earth what you are looking into is the past many of those stars are already gone but you're just seeing them uh-huh. so I, in a sense i there's a sense in which i think god hung these lights in the heavens as a mercy to remind us of the importance of history mm-hmm. to remind us of how important it is to remember history because I as a Christian and you as a Jesus follower understand that Jesus God cares so much about history that he entered into it in order to save us he became historical the eternal became historical that is the good news mm. of the gospel of Jesus Christ mm. is, catch that the, that. is that the eternal became historical and if god is our example if christ is our example let it let him be our example not for some toxic interpretation of the marriage doctrine but let it be our let him let him be our example for a healthy life let his preoccupation with history be a model for our preoccupation with history not so we can dwell in our past but so that we can learn from it So that we can live better lives And so that we can live better lives Because we've engaged it long enough Not only to learn from it But to heal from it
0: Beautiful Well said As we wrap up our 23rd edition Of this podcast Tim Golden I am so grateful to hold space with you In life And especially on this podcast This evening And you being able to open up to share what you shared in a very vulnerable way to not only share your experience, but to give insight on how we can be better through communication, connecting and community. Yo, Tim, where can we find you? jason you can find me on instagram
1: at a good golden man you can find me on twitter at DRTJ golden esq you can find me on facebook in walla walla washington at tim golden three things in life are certain jay death taxes and i am the only black man in walla walla named tim golden i think you can take that to the bank walla walla washington city so nice they had to say it not once, but how many times, Jason? Twice. Twice, and I would be remiss if I if I didn't ask you,
0: where can we find you, Jay? Yo, you guys can find me on Instagram at the Speaker's Mechanic. You can find me on Facebook at Jason Hall Communication Skills Coach, LinkedIn Communication Skills Coach, Twitter, Jason Hall Speaks. Those are places and spaces where Tim and I hang out. Those of you first time listeners and also you you regulars, please go into after hearing and listening to this impactful, powerful podcast, please get into the facebook group and let's 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 start a conversation if you have questions for myself or tim understanding things that you might have been contemplating let's 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 interact let's talk let's that's where the community is made we are definitely in that particular space daily checking out things that you're putting in there and we're so appreciative for all the interactions that we've had throughout the week the downloads we are so grateful for you guys tim and i enjoy speaking and having this platform and talking about issues that are that are resonating with all of you in the community that we're creating here. We're just so very grateful. So we
1: are grateful. Love you much. And thank you for for everything. Thanks for being who you are. Such a great listening audience. And Jay, I think we'll be back on next week. With episode 24 of the Motown Philly podcast. We shall. You guys be good. We love you, Tim. I love you. I love you too, Jason. To our audience, I love you. Jason loves you. Take care of yourselves and one another. And we will be back next week with a new episode.